Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash bookshow. Then go over to morbidlybeautiful.com as we are now part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcasting Network. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. Have you checked the children? children. I want to play a game. The box. You opened it. We came. This is the All America Spook Show. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the All American Spook Show. Po- oh, come on! What? Somebody need to open up a bag of Lay's potato chips right now? I'm Josh, and I'm joined here with Donnie. Yo. Will. Hey, what's going on? And the professor's... I think mystery solved. I think we know exactly who's doing it. Uh, yeah, Donnie, come on, chill. Yeah, dude. knock it off, asshole. It's clearly Regan, or whatever demon is possessing Regan. That's that's who's doing this. I'm here to fuck up the show! <laughs> So we're we're in October now. Finally, we it, up to this point we've just been pretending we're in October. Now we are actually here. We're in the month of October. It's October second, the month of our fifth anniversary. Can you fucking believe we have made it? Well, I mean, we ain't quite there yet. I guess we can't celebrate yet, but we've almost made it five full years of the Spook Show. So uh, here's the five more, gentlemen, and we'll, we'll celebrate that at the end of the month. But now that we're just finally actually kicking off the month of October. We kind of started it off last week when we did a Nightmare on Elm Street. That's one we've been waiting a long time to do. So that was a lot of fun. We've had some good input on that one. But now we push forward, and we're, we're talking about The Exorcist from 1973. Literally one of the biggest horror movie successes, Ever. at least, yeah, and, and of all time. You know, money-wise, everything. I think Easily. It, when It came out in 2017, I believe it was, when, you know, the, the most recent one, the first mm-hmm. one. I think that was finally the first, I guess, rated R horror that had beat out The Exorcist. I think it was still number one in the box office. Mm. Rated R horror-wise, pure horror-wise, it was number one all the way up until It came out. So it had about a, what, 40-something year streak before, <laughs> roughly, whatever whatever the amount of time was between them, before it finally got knocked off. But yeah, that's, that's how big this movie is. And it's been re-released a number of times. There's unrated director's cuts, and uh, right, there's at least two or three other versions of it, or something like that. But yeah, doesn't get much bigger than this. And also, how appropriate to not only for us, but for you, the listener, to set us all up for this weekend when Exorcist Believer comes out in theaters. Now, unless something mm. gets changed between now and then, which I think we're solid now, because it was supposed to come out Friday the 13th, but it got bumped up a week to October 6th because of one of Smoke's favorites. Taylor Swift had a uh, tour film coming out or something. So they're like, nope, we're just avoiding her altogether. Everybody's going to get their ass waxed at the box office that weekend. So they actually pulled it back a week. Um, and this is with some other uh, fairly big horror movies playing at the time, right? The Nun 2 is out now. So, you know, you're in that time of the year where these these movies are hitting theaters. So like, oh, yeah, Taylor Swift just decided to throw a fucking wrench into the into the horror works although that's horror of a different color right smoke <laughs> yeah the swifty brigade or something. yeah <laughs> yeah well, you didn't hear anything about cats 
You know, when, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now it's all about this. Look, I'm not trying to, Oh, uh, come on guys. You know, you know, haters going to hate. Yeah. Hate, <laughs> hate, hate, hate. I'm look, I'm not trying to be a hater. I'm not trying to poke the bear of the Swifties, right? Like that's the last thing we need. Hey, you ever heard of this, this, this all American spook show? No, but fuck them. They don't like Taylor Swift. You know, now it's a thing. No, no, no. We, we all love Taylor Swift. Let's go with that. But anyways, because of that, everything got shifted around a little bit. So we, we kind of shifted a little bit and this is kind of behind the scenes. You know, we, we had other things planned, but we kind of shifted in the deck a little bit. The deck chairs moved them around a little bit. So now we're, we're talking about the exorcist today and then we're going to watch exorcist believer this weekend. And then we're going to be talking about that next Monday. So you want to come back for that. And then we'll, at the end of the show, we'll, we'll uh, tease some of the rest of the stuff we've got going for the month of October. But yeah, I guess before we get any deeper here, because I know we all, we're all itching to talk about it. Let's go ahead and toss to the trailer for the exorcist. Somewhere between science and superstition, there is another world. The world of darkness. Nobody expected it. Nobody believed it. And nothing could stop it. There are no experts. You probably know as much about possession as most priests. Look, your daughter doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself. I'm telling you that that thing upstairs isn't my daughter. Now, I want you to tell me that you know for a fact that there's nothing wrong with my daughter except in her mind. You tell me you know for a fact that an exorcism wouldn't do any good. You tell me that! The one hope, the only hope, the exorcist. All right, there you go. That that's it, Donnie. What's your history with this? I, obviously, this can't be the first time you've ever seen The Exorcist, right? No, yeah, no, no. Uh, um, I had watched it. I was probably maybe, God, maybe twelve. I think the first time I saw it, scared the living shit out of me, man. Yep. Like, I mean, you know, we're we're all in basically the Bible Belt of the of the U.S. Where, uh, you know, shit, man. I just remember. Everything like growing up in the in the 80s, just being, you know, like the, taught in the church, like everything was, you know, trying to keep our kids away from Satan. And God, man. Uh, yeah, this, just, this is the opposite of that. <laughs> Not necessarily inviting people <laughs> yeah. to the church of Satan, but like this is yeah. like and, and and we'll get into it. Some of the language and everything that happens in this movie, like, oh, wow, this is uh, yeah. <laughs> this is the opposite of what you were just saying as far as that yeah. stuff is concerned, you know. Sacrilegious, some might even say, right? No doubt. Yeah. Will, what's your history with it? Have had? I mean, it is a legitimate question for you because I know you're not like you know you haven't watched a lot of huge horror movies. Had you seen this one before? You've heard this from me before, uh, plenty of times. Uh, this is one of those movies where I had seen bits and pieces of it, 
but I never actually sat down and watched the whole thing from mm. from post to post. Mm-hmm. Well, this it's going to be interesting to get your two cents then because that that's the kind of thing that I like to hear. So that 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 could mean this movie is for better or for worse. May go down in the in the uh, spook show history, like <laughs> with such films as Mandy and Suspiria and stuff like that. We'll see. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it's in higher regard f- from your side. Smoke, I know this. You've got it on every format. You've seen it, you know, four hundred and eleven times, and you know you probably watched it before birth or something, right? So, what's your history with it? Well, speak. It's funny you should mention birth because this is the year I was born in. I see. I think it came out in December twenty sixth. I was born in November, so it was yeah. I was a month old. Wow. <laughs> This movie hit theaters. Wait a minute, that time, uh, that times out right. You might be the spawn of <laughs> uh, <laughs> Captain Howdy. Yeah. Oh God, <laughs> Captain. Howdy. No, I, you know, I was trying to remember when I first saw this, and a lot of movies I can remember. You know, what, I definitely didn't see it in the theater, like I said, because I was a month old. But you know, I'll remember when I rented it the first time, or watched it on TV, or what, whatever the case may be, but I can't remember. I don't remember when I first saw this. It was back in, you know, it's probably 12 or 13. I just don't remember the first instance. Yeah. And you would think you would, when you saw the, uh, one of these movies like this, like one of the scariest movies for adults. And, but to certainly for kids, when you see this as a kid, it scares the shit out of you. But I could not remember the instances of when, when I first saw it. So it had to been in the, uh, early mid eight, early to mid eighties or so. It was before I saw, you know, the last movie we did, Nightmare on Elm Street, which was in 85. It was before that. So it had to be, I don't know, 83 maybe. I pro- I don't even know if I was. I probably saw it on TV. So I probably didn't get the full effect of the, as we, as we mentioned, the blasphemy, the cursing, and the all of that stuff that goes into making this movie what it is. Uh, I'm pretty sure I saw a TV version of it. It might have been a couple of years before I got, you know, saw the actual R-rated version. So. Yeah, I'd but yeah some, I do. somewhere in some of the research that there actually was a made-for-TV version. It's actually kind of more rare to see now than like the actual cut, you know, the original cut of the movie, because it only aired like a time or two that some of the edits and stuff that they had made for television, it only aired like once or twice. So now it's kind of a little more on the rare side to see that than it would be just, you know, here's the movie. So that might've been the one you saw back in the day. Who knows? It could be. I don't, I don't remember that. Like I said, I don't know why I can't remember the, I can remember exactly where I was when I saw the thing for the first time or Dawn of the Dead or what, but the exorcist is hazy. Yeah. And it might have been like Will was saying, too, where I saw bits and pieces of it, I'm sure, first before I ever was able to sit and watch the whole thing. But uh, but I, I don't remember exactly when that was. Just sometime in the 83, 84-ish area, I guess. Now, I, mine is kind of similar in a way. Like, I don't really remember the first time. But I remember, like, seeing bits and pieces, whatever, and then, like, liking the movie and it being scary in parts and stuff like that. But not up until, I want to say it was 2000 or 2001, it got the director's cut or one version of a director's cut or something oh, yeah. got, got released in theaters. Right. And yeah. I went yeah. to the theater. Now here's the setup because I, it helps explain why it scared the shit out of me. Even though I was like 20, 21 years old, I go to see it in the theater by myself in an empty theater. There's no one else in there. It was just one of those random, like it's three o'clock in the afternoon. I'm going to go fucking see it. Nobody wants to see it with me. So I go by myself. I'm in an empty theater in the middle of the day and it's cold. I remember it being cold as fuck. Now, if you know anything about this movie, why that's important is because you remember in the movie when they walk in, like they can see their breath and shit. So like, I remember sitting in the theater by myself, it's fucking cold and I'm, and dude, it creeped the shit out of me. Like, you know, certain parts and everything. And like the sound was great in the theater and everything. Like, so even though I was a grown ass man, it's still like, fuck, you know, you gave me the heebie jeebies. So 
that that's one thing that's always stuck out in my mind is that time sitting there watching that in that environment. It was it was perfect. It was perfect for it. But yeah, what what a you know yeah we'll we'll get into our our thoughts on the movie. I don't want to jump the gun, but yeah, just good stuff. So I guess we'll go ahead and jump into some of the background information because I know once again I'm sure we're itching to talk. This movie is also there's really no other alternate titles other than just it being called William Peter Blatty's The Exorcist. Uh, it was released. What a wonderful release date, by the way. December 26, 1973. <laughs> it came out the day after Christmas in 1973. Now, I never could see like opening box office, and I don't really have any box office numbers for this movie past just, you know, what it went on to gross. But uh, I'd be interested. It'd be interesting to see how many people went to the box office basically on that Christmas holiday to go see this thing, you know, because obviously it goes on to huge success. But I think it was also one of those ones that played forever and played in drive-ins and stuff like that for a while after that too. So I think that contributed to its massive haul, right? But it would be interesting to have those numbers of like how many people actually went out of their way to go see this thing at Christmas time <laughs> in 1973. Uh, it was produced by Hoya Productions and it was distributed by Warner Brothers Pictures. Of course, this is rated R. If you've ever seen it, you know why. Total runtime of two hours and two minutes. The director's cut, I think, is about 10 minutes longer. IMDb listed as just a horror. It was filmed in uh, Georgetown there in Washington, D.C., other parts in New York City, and uh, in Iraq. Those scenes at the beginning of the movie were actually filmed in Iraq. The, produ- the filming dates for this were from August 14th of 1972 to March 2nd of 1973, and it was filmed for a budget of $12 million. And went on, which is, you know, really, I would, I would have to think it's a very high budget for 1973. I don't have anything to compare it to. You know, I didn't compare it to budgets of other movies of the time, but I seriously doubt there were a lot of movies getting a $12 million budget in 1973, but it got it. And it went on to a worldwide gross of $428.2 million, which is fucking crazy, right? For a, a horror movie that came out in 1973. And like I said, I believe it was something that played, what, what would you say, Smoke? Probably a year or something like that. It played forever, maybe even years off and on after, you know, it made its debut in late 73. This was probably... For the time? Yeah, like, this was probably something that played most of 1974 and probably into 1975 on a fairly common basis at all drive-ins and theaters in the country until it finally kind of probably started, you know, went away. And then it's been re-released a number of times since then, and that contributes to the total that we set out today so there's a good chance that it could actually go up again one of these days but yeah still success with a capital s and uh, it spawned i don't know how many countless ripoffs <laughs> you know there's i mean there was there was possession i guess of a sort you know before the exorcist those types of movies or movies that maybe not had that as a focal point but it was in it in some way shape or form mm-hmm. but after the exorcist like the de- demonic possession was never done in any other way except as some sort of variation of the way it was done in the episode after that. Things some uh, porn movies, right? Like The Sexorcist, which I, I said the poster to y'all in, the, uh, in our offline chat. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, of course, an Italian ripoff called uh, The Antichrist. I think it was released on VHS back in the day as The Tempter. Because there's always going to be an obligatory Italian ripoff of, of uh, you know, well, of a well-made failed. film. It never failed, especially back then, right, that we're going to do that. Uh, oh yeah, and they were enjoyable for what they were too. I mean, except I don't know if Will might not agree with that statement, but you know about the uh, the Italian uh, ripoff movies. But maybe we'll find one that that, that you'll like better. 
Demons that sounds like, like a challenge. <laughs> well, I think Demons was okay, right? Demons might be the best one so far that we've done that you enjoyed more so than uh, Argento for sure. I can tell by his face he <laughs> he's a, he's all about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, as far as the Exorcist is concerned, it actually did spawn. You know, other than the knockoffs, they did have uh, what five more. Well, with the the one that comes out this week, five more movies that spawned off of this. You've got uh, what four years later, nineteen seventy seven, Exorcist two, The Heretic which I think that's one of the most notorious sequels of all time, right? Yeah. I mean, how can you have a sequel that terrible to one of the best movie, horror movies ever made? But anyways, yeah. they did it. Yeah. Yeah, they found it, a way. it happened. <laughs> uh, the Exorcist 3 came out in 1990. Then in uh, fast forward to 2004, you had Exorcist The Beginning. And then just a year later in 2005, you had Dominion prequel to The Exorcist. Now, I don't believe I've seen either one of those movies, so I can't speak on how well they were, but I, I seriously doubt they're any good. <laughs> if nobody's sitting around talking about them a year later, I doubt they're great. So I guess we'll find out one of these days. And I saw the first one you mentioned back in when it came out, but I don't even, it was, it was pretty forgettable because I don't even remember what the premise of it was, other than it was, you know, the beginning. And then, of course, you're about to, we're about to start a new sequel trilogy with The Exorcist Believer. And then, supposedly, in two years, in 2025, you're going to have The Exorcist Deceiver. And then there's a third untitled film, which I'm sure is all depending on how successful this this is. And uh, it's directed by David Gordon Green, uh, uh, written by uh, Danny McBride, and, that, and, and uh, produced by Jason Blum and all that. So it's that similar crew of uh, the Halloween, uh, that did the, the recent Halloween trilogy is going to be involved mm-hmm. in that. So that, that should be interesting to see once that uh, happens. And we'll find out next week whether they get off to a great start or not when we talk about the exorcist believer, but yeah. So, so far there have been counting this new one. There have been five sequels that spawned off of this movie. And, and obviously when we talked about it's box office success, there's no, uh, there's no surprise that it, it did spawn, you know, a number of sequels. This one though was written and directed. Well, no, I'm sorry. It was written based on the writing of William Peter Blatty. Right. Um, because he wrote a, a novel, uh, or I, I'm sorry. He wrote a screenplay based on he I'm getting this all fucked up. He wrote the screenplay for this based on his novel of the same name that had came out in 1971. Have any of you guys ever read the exorcist, the novel? Donnie, I'm sure, I'm sure you probably have, but so I'm not even going to ask you, but smoke. Have you read the exorcist novel? Uh, I have not read that yet. I, I, I never have either. I, I'm kind of uh, embarrassed by that. Cause I'd like to it, like, you know, as as much as I like this movie, I, I should go back and read that book to see how similar or dissimilar it is. Or I'm sure it's very similar since it's all William Peter Blatty. But it'd be interesting to read the, the between the differences <clears throat> between the novel and this, right? Yeah, and and also, I mean, the fact that yeah, the movie's based on the novel, but the novel, I believe, is based on a somewhat somewhat factual event, right? But it was a it was a I believe a it was a boy and not a girl. Going through the possession. Yeah, well, the same. Uh, it says it was based on the demonic possession of 11 year old Regan McNeil, which, uh, well, it says, let me see, the, the daughter of a family. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just reading the brief synopsis here. Then it just kind of, it's like a, a, a internet rabbit hole. It just kind of goes back in circles to the movie. So I don't know exactly what the hell. It looks like it's very, yeah, that- yeah it was. It, I guess the novel is a girl, but I'm not, it's not giving me the, uh, 
the the work back around to like uh, what yeah. it was based on. I'm I'm sorry to get yeah, the point. Yeah, I know the novel. I think is a girl, and based on the same. I mean, the movie. I think is pretty much from the novel, but I believe the event that was inspired the novel might have been. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, kind of a girl. But that that's something we'll have to. I'll delve. You know, I'll look. I didn't look that up. Go that deep into that for this. But next time we do an Exorcist movie, when we do Exorcist two, the heretic heretic. Yeah, we'll probably have we'll probably have more time at that point to talk about stuff like that because that movie is not as good as this, to say the least. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that that needs to be crappy, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it will. <laughs> Maybe you never know. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyways, it was directed by William Friedkin. Friedkin. William Friedkin. And uh, unfortunately, he literally just passed away, what, like back in August? I believe yeah. it was. Yeah. Yeah. So he was 87, 87 years, years old. Yeah, it's crazy. But the, I mean, good Lord. I mean, you could probably say this was the film of his career, right? I mean, like he had some other, he had some other really good ones, but like, this is probably the one. I mean, I, I guess maybe it, it, it's subjective because like, you know, he did the French connection to live and die in LA, a handful of others, but like probably commercially successful. This is probably the, easily the biggest movie he ever made, but. Uh, maybe the French Connection comes would be the only one probably that comes close. It stars Ellen Burstyn as Chris McNeil. Now she is actually reprising that role for Exorcist Believer, which we'll watch next week. So that's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, that'll be cool. Yeah, to see a much older Ellen Burstyn, you know, reprising the role. It also stars Max von Sydow as Father Marin. Iconic role, right? Even though it's it's almost like when we were talking about uh, Nightmare on Elm Street last week with Freddy, like he's not in this that much. You know what I mean? Like when you think of this movie in the exorcist, you know, before watching it, you're like, Oh yeah. Max, Max von Sydow was great in that. His father, Marion and everything. It's, it's iconic, but how much screen time is he actually getting? You know, maybe 20 minutes of screen time, the whole two hour movie. He's not in it a lot. Linda Blair as Regan. I mean, this was the movie that literally the biggest thing she ever did, you know, even afterwards. Right. But th- this was, this was the movie that made her into a household name. I mean, she did some other stuff. Including Exorcist Two, The Heretic, but uh, she was also in Hell Night, nineteen eighty one, Savage Streets, in eighty four. I wouldn't necessarily say she didn't have a, a great career, but she didn't have a great career. <laughs> it was, I mean, like you know, like it was up, it was full of ups and downs, and she had some stuff going on and everything. But like this was the highlight, you know, and not that she's passed. I mean, she's still, she's still uh, around, although she hasn't done as much stuff in the last handful of years. I mean, she still does stuff, but. I'm not saying she's a failure or anything like that, but like, this is the one, you know what I mean? Like this will be on her, on her, on her gravestone. It's playing, uh, Reagan and the exorcist. Right. So, um, yeah. Hopefully the dialogue will be on that gravestone. But anyways, yeah. Yeah. Well, that'd be rough. Damn rough. <laughs> I, I guess really, I mean, there's lots, lots of great character actors and stuff like that. Like Lee J Cobb, um, Kitty Wynn, Jack McGowan, but, uh, Jason Miller's father, Karis is probably the last one, you know, really worth mentioning as far as, um, bigger actors that were in this kind of the, the Linda Blair path. You know what I mean? Like he had some stuff and he actually, uh, did have a small role in the exorcist three much later on, but it's a little different, obviously, you know, getting into the spoilers of this movie, but yeah, he was in there, but yeah. Uh, unfortunately he passed away back in 2001 at the age of 62, but yeah, I mean, I think he did a great job in this movie. Yeah. As far as like that, all that aspect of it, that's about all I had. Did you guys, guys have anything you wanted to point out before we start diving into it? I think it's interesting that uh, if you adjust for inflation, this is uh, Warner Brothers' most successful movie, uh, cash-wise, still to this, I think, to this day. Wouldn't surprise me. 
Although that uh, didn't, I'm pretty sure they released Barbie this past summer. So like that might, yeah, that you know even adjusted for inflation, that might. I'm not sure what the comparative numbers are, but that might have done because I think I had saw somewhere where like that was already like one of the most successful, if not the most successful Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers release of all time. I think something like that. Did we yeah. did we already mention that uh, this actually won two Oscars? No, we didn't mention that. Yeah, it did win uh, Oscar for Best Writing Screenplay and also won for Best Sound. No surprise there. And I can tell you that was a big part of when I went and saw this in the theater back then, you know, that director's cut. The sound in that theater was awesome. You know, and I'm sure that's just like the original sound design. I mean, it's it really is some good stuff that doesn't play as well when you're sitting in your house watching it on DVD or streaming or whatever. You know, like you really have to go to a theater to kind of live that part of it but yeah that doesn't shock me at all true yeah i saw it that same time that same re-release mm-hmm. that uh the version you've never seen i think that's what they called it right something like that yeah yeah where they had the added in the uh infamous spider walk which i know we haven't really talked about this yet but i am we're just doing the you know beginning part but we can talk about it later the whichever versions that all of us watched oh yeah the, the down the stairs spider walk yeah because i didn't yeah. watch that version today when i, I watched it before we record this episode, I watched it fresh. That was the uh, regular theatrical version, not the not the newer director's cut version. Which I, like I said, I saw it in the theater when you saw it. Yeah, that's like holy hell. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah, it's it's, it's yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll we'll save it till we get into the actual parts of the movie or whatever. But I know that uh, Linda Blair was apparently threatened by some uh, extremist, I guess, religious organizations for. You know, well, they thought that it was the movie was glorifying the devil or that she was as an actress or whatever. And they actually had to have bodyguards for during the uh, during the shooting of the film. Now, you know that uh, you, you just reminded me. Uh, there is a great series, which we probably mentioned at some point or another over the last couple of years. That's on Shutter <laughs> called Cursed Films. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I think literally the very uh-huh. first episode of Cursed Films is about the exorcist because the whole premise of the show or docu-series, whatever, you know, however you want to frame it, is they, they talk about some of the bad things that happen that surround the making of a film. So they, they just pick one movie and the whole episode is about, you know, the things that happen in that one. And uh, it's obviously it's not as fucked up as what happened in you know uh, Twilight Zone, the movie. That's probably one of the most horrible situations that could possibly happen in a movie, right? But uh, it's still some pretty fucked up coincidental type stuff. Uh, so I encourage you to go check out, you know, we don't, we don't have to take a deep dive into that, but, uh, I encourage you to go check out that episode of, uh, curse films on shutter and see some of the stuff that some, some of the not so great things that happened to some of the people that were involved in this and some of the coincidences, however you want to frame them of things that happened with people that worked on this and were loosely involved in this and everything. It's some, it's some pretty crazy, you know, if you like that, not necessarily conspiracy theory type stuff, but if you like that kind of like, what if, weird coincidental type mystery type stuff that that one's for you i would encourage checking it out yum yum it's time for a tasty and refreshing snack we promise to satisfy your hunger your thirst your sweet tooth so visit our refreshment center now let's go for you, the listeners of the All-American Spook Show podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. So I went over to audible.com and I typed in The Exorcist. And hey, what do you know? We've got The Exorcist, a novel. 
by William Peter Blatty. And that's actually narrated by him and uh, Ileana Shaskin. This is uh, book one of the Exorcist series, and that one's just under 13 hours long. So maybe uh, since I haven't read that, maybe Audible is the way to catch up on that one. That that might be an interesting listen for sure. Uh, we've <laughs> Donnie, you can at least listen to it, right? Nah, nah. Fuck it. We've got The Exorcist House by Nick Roberts. That one is just over nine hours long. And then we've got Diary of an American Exorcist by Stephen J. Rossetti and Stephen Rossetti. That one is uh, almost six hours long. So what does that say? Demons, Possession, and the Modern Day Battle Against American Evil. No, no, not American Evil. That's funny. Ancient Evil. My bad. Look, it's really small print. I couldn't read. (laughs) (laughs) So if that... Any of that interest you, you can go over to audibletrial.com slash bookshow. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash bookshow for your free audio books. And I'm going to hop back over to IMDb and click on plot summary and see what pops up. And there's got to be at least one really long one for Donnie here. Now, there's some longer ones, but nothing really, really long. I'm disappointed in you, IMDb. We'll read the one sentence one. When a young girl is possessed by a mysterious entity, her mother seeks the help of two priests to save her daughter. I'll just go with the longest one. This one was submitted by Jay Sperlin over on IMDb. So that's your buddy, old Jay Sperlin there, Donnie. Mm-hmm. A movie actress taking up temporary residence in Washington, D.C. has her troubles. The script for the movie she's filming seems inadequate. Her ex, who is also the father of her adolescent daughter, Regan, neglects to call the girl on her birthday. And the attic has rats. <laughs> what? Me? <laughs> Yeah, so, the rats. Oh yeah, by, by the, the way. yeah, by the way, and I'm hungry. Meanwhile, Father Karras, a priest and a psychiatrist, is losing his faith, and he's dealing with a sick mother who needs medical care he hasn't the money to provide. Another priest, the old and ailing Father Marin, has just returned from Iraq with forebodings of evil. These three persons meet when the sweet and cheerful Regan turns foul-mouthed and violent, but her sickness is beyond the reach of a medical doctor or a psychiatrist. What Regan needs is an exorcist. I think really, I think, you know, you start there and the beginning of the movie where, you know, it, it's, it's father Marin in Iraq, like in an archeological dig. And he finds this medallion and this little statue. Now smoke, maybe, maybe there's something I missed there. How exactly does that tie into what we see play out here with uh, what happens to Regan? Cause I know there's some connection there, but I, I it's kind of lost on me somewhere in here what the direct connection is. Yeah. I mean, how it gets there, I mean, to, you know, to their residents or whatever. I'm not sure. I mean, I know the part at the beginning is like this, you're in Iran and it's like ancient, I believe Sumerian archeological dig or whatever. And it's, I believe it's Pazuzu that that God's supposed to represent for demon. Uh, But how that connection from, okay, there, how does it get the demon get to her, you know, and where was it? Is it Uh, Massachusetts? Uh, where, good Lord, now I'm like, wherever the hell they were, but like that, that's the, no, it's in Georgetown, Georgetown, Washington, Washington, DC. But that, that was one, I mean, look, it's, it's hard to criticize this movie in, in any way, right? It really is. But if there is one, that's kind of a, a little bit of a gap there where there seems like there should have been a scene somewhere in there to explain what happened to her other than don't fuck with Ouija boards. Cause I've always said that, right? <laughs> Don't fuck with Ouija yeah. boards. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah they're kind of vague about how it got in. Like that's one, you know, 
one way that it could have, I guess, because she's talking about the Ouija board and Captain Howdy and all this, and you know. But I, they they kind of leave it vague. They don't say that this is it. This is the portal, and this is how it happened or whatever. So, so I guess they just kind of leave it up. To and you, and I guess you know, I, in the end, it, it doesn't really matter, right? I mean, like the 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 main thing is that she is possessed. It doesn't really, I guess, in the end, matter how and why. But if there is one thing, one little criticism, I I could leave on the table there for William Peter Bellatti and William Friedkin is <laughs> have one little small scene in here that kind of explains. Maybe she finds something in the attic that, right? Yeah. Like, there's got to be something, you know, but there's nothing really that, unless I just completely miss it or, you know, which I don't think I did. But there's that one thing that doesn't get explained either. It's the little piece of statue at the bottom of the stairs, right? At the mm-hmm. bottom of the outdoor stairs going up that, uh, who was it that bends over and, you know, messes around with a straw right there or whatever Wasn't and finds it, a piece of a stone statue? I think it was the, uh, the detective. Right. Yeah. Either that or Father Dyer. I can't remember. I think it was the detective yeah. that found it. And so, I mean, they never really get back to that, you know, as far as. And that's as the same thing that he, that Father, and that's the same statue that Father Marin finds in Iraq at the beginning, right? That's what it, yeah, it looked like, right? Pazuzu, right? Yeah. which is, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how that would have got there, you know, necessarily. I mean, I mean, the, the beginning, though, is kind of like, you know, it's, it's basically introducing, you know, Max von Sydow's character and then the connection and you know, that statue, you know, something is evil about that just the location where he's at, I guess. And, you know, but I don't know if there's any connection to that. I mean, there is because of the final little statue piece, but yeah. how did the statue piece get there? Now it's, that's just that linking to get, you know, Max von Sydow to be introduced later in the movie. But yeah, I don't know what, any other connection there was to that statue other than the, the little piece being found that never really gets, you know, never well, really gets. Other, I out. guess maybe it's as easily explained as like, well, it's demons fucking with you. Right, like you know, it's just a demon has latched onto this situation and is fucking with all of them. Now we haven't read the novel. Maybe there's something else in the novel that just you know that got kind of glossed over here. Donnie, let me know when you find it. I was about to say, Donnie, we'll let you read it and then you can report back and tell us (laughs) if there was any there. Or Will, right? Will, you're you're a big avid reader. Maybe you can. I read books. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) How how do you? I, I think you know iconic moments right you know we talked about it a lot last week when we were talking about a nightmare on elm street but like here music the, and it's simple it's it's once again it's simple just like in that one it's tubular bells which was uh done by mike oldfield great right like you hear it you instantly get creeped out i mean but it's so simple it's like you know one of those kind of like you know uh not operatic but you know just uh beethovenish type of thing right like you know just an old music type of thing instrumental but it's so damn effective and creepy, you know, the way they use it here. And when you hear it, like, you know, fuckery is afoot, right? <laughs> proper yeah. usage, proper usage of one particular song just to creep the fuck out of you. And it's so effective. I don't remember hardly any other music in it other than the very opening scene of like Muslim prayer. Yeah. You know, music and everything, whatever <laughs> that and the tubular bells is the only music I can even point to. And even though I know that the whole movie had score as most movies do, just underscoring it but yeah uh, that it's so iconic that's the only thing i remember from it musical yeah and yeah. i even have the soundtrack on vinyl i still that's the only yeah. thing i can remember from <laughs> maybe maybe the soundtrack's nothing but like a 45 minute version of tubular bells and that's it i don't know another iconic scene is when regan walks in and just pisses all over herself <laughs> <laughs> yeah the party yeah <laughs> the little party Dinner party thing, Chad, go in there and then. I just okay. love, I mean, you can go, yeah. I love that you can just go from scene to scene here, like Regan walking in and like, she, what did she say? Like, mom, she says something and then just pisses the floor. 
And then she goes back, they take her back upstairs and then the bed starts moving. But I love these moments that they happen and then they still dismiss it as like, eh, she's off in the head. Like, what would you say? A solid 45 minutes or so of this movie is just like, they try to attack it from every reasonable angle. Like re- I say reasonable by like, nothing supernatural is happening here. It's all, she's all a little, something's off with her, right? There's something wrong with her. No, I think when I walk in and see the bed rocking, I know it's not just a mental issue at that point. And not because she's jumping around on it either. Like, I mean, literally like the, the bed is almost levitating and rocking back and forth. Like you see that it's not normal, but no, no, we need to go get an MRI and an x-ray. And didn't they like basically perform almost, almost perform brain surgery on her or some shit. Like never came, never came to any kind of conclusion. I remember like reading about Ellen Burstein and saw the movie because she was in uh, whatever town she was in shooting another movie. The Exorcist opened, and that was in 1974 in that particular town. She went to see it. And uh, the scene that people started to, uh, a couple of people fainted on, and some people had to get up and kind of leave, was in that scene where she Regan was getting the neck catheter thing pushed into her. Oh, yeah. Well, I can see that. That was the scene that did it, yeah. Oh yeah, I can see because even as I was yeah. sitting there watching it this time, you, you do kind of like grit teeth, like, oh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I could I could see that, like, ow, that hurts. Because it's really it's methodical. You know, it's like they make you sit there and watch that. It's very methodical. You know, it's like all right, taking the instrument and you're gonna feel a pinch, and then you know they do it, and then yeah, so yeah. I I could see that. What do you think of the whole subplot of uh, Father Karras's mom? Like, you know, you wonder how it ties into thing, and it really only ties into things at the end. How the demon supposedly is able to use this, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely felt like a, like a little bit of an, an offshoot, just uh, almost like a like an Easter egg for a later part of the movie. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's perfect. Just you know, like you said, the the, the opening scene. Like, I, I, I was sitting there watching that, and I was like, "All right, so what does this have to do with the rest of the movie?" Mm-hmm. They were clearly building it, building you know layers of this, so that way you can you know, come back later on in the movie and be like, Oh, yeah, but yeah. yeah, it didn't have a ton to, to do with it except for like one line. Yeah. Well, it does. And it, and it doesn't, you know, right. Um, by the way, that, that probably is a good time. I know we've spoiled some things, but we haven't gone full spoiler yet. So if you have not seen the exorcist, please pause this, go check it out and come back. Cause you know, we don't want to necessarily ruin the experience for you. So we encourage you to go watch this movie for sure. And then come back and, uh, listen to the rest of this, but yeah, like it, it definitely felt like there was a lot of stuff that happened throughout, like the stuff with his mom, the stuff at the beginning that is just there to set up what's going to happen at the end. And I guess that's the way all movies are. Right. But like this seemed a little bit more purposeful because it's like, like you said, you're sitting there like, well, what does this have to do with anything? But you know, it eventually does come around in, in small ways too. Like they're not enormous payoffs, but they're there. So if you're paying attention, I think this is definitely one where you need to be paying attention to all the little things that are going on because of what happens at the end. Right. And how they kind of uh, use that, so you, you do have to be paying attention. But it was it was interesting because along the way you're just like, why do I care about? I mean, I care about this character, but like, why do you care about his mom so much? You know, like, why is it a thing? So it, there is a small payoff there. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it explains his mindset. You know, like where he is, maybe mentally, but yeah, like, like what does it have to do with the story? And, it's, and it and it ends up being that it's used against him. You know, that's the whole play, right? right? When Regan finally loses it, like, basically, she's full-on possessed now. Man, she says the most rugged shit. (laughs) Just horrible. And does the most rugged shit. Yeah. (laughs) Just some of the, 
just roughest lines in movie history, right? Like, I mean, and, and Smoke, you could probably attest to this. Like, there had not had to have been many movies before this with this kind of verbiage and language in it, right? No, not not to the extent that was used in this movie. Yeah, the the words that she's saying have been used plenty, you know, enough times, like, or you know, but not in the context of. <laughs> Uh, I'm talking about like know, just in, oh. I'm talking about just in legitimate cinema, right? How often yeah. would you have heard these words <laughs> in a major motion picture in the year <laughs> 1973? You know what I mean? Like very rarely. Yeah. Well, this movie did a lot of different things. Like even just the opening. I mean, this is having to do with the dialogue or anything. Even just the opening, just the Exorcist flashed across the screen, then goes away and no credits at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> was like like kind of innovative at the time, or was not really done you know usually you had opening credits you had the name of the movie and the credits you know scroll across or whatever in some way shape or form whether it's over scenes whether it's over just a black screen or whatever the case that was not you know so this is kind of innovative in a lot of different ways in pushing boundaries both like the religious angle of things because that got them in a lot of hot water with uh, all kind of different organizations Pushing, like I said, the language, the fact that it was a young girl who's now granted she wasn't doing the language, she wasn't saying the language. It was the the what was it? I don't know, can't remember the name now. I don't have it in front of me. But the actress, the other person who was the stand-in for uh, for Regan's character, was doing some of that more you know more vulgar vulgar language in some of those scenes or whatever. It's still though. I mean, most people still put it together that wow, there's this little girl who's doing all this stuff, and then for the most part, she was doing most of the stuff. But when it came to that vulgar language and everything, and the the cross scene, for instance, that definitely was not her. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, it definitely pushed boundaries for sure, and in, in good ways, and and you know, box office, just horror, legitimizing horror, I guess you could say in a way, because before this movie, there was. It took a while. It took this and a few other movies to really, you know, and still, uh, really, still to this day, you could say a horror still hasn't been legitimized that much. I mean, how many times does horror movies win Oscars? Not too many. Yeah, few and far this between. Fun, You're right, though. I, I, that's not something I dwelled on about how groundbreaking this movie was, as far as like just legitimizing horror, because really, before that, for the most part, right, horror was seen as uh, as Frankenstein and Dracula. You know, yeah, it's Godzilla. It's corny. Yeah. It's corny, over the top, yeah. cheap schlock. You know, so like this thing was like actually considered legitimate cinema. You know, <laughs> compared to that stuff. So, yeah, yeah you're right. And it was good to see that it actually did. You know, it was nominated and won Oscars. Yeah, kind of rare territory. Yeah, no doubt. Even since, really, I mean, yeah, there's been tons, yeah. but like now today, we kind of live in the age of elevated horror, right? Where like, yeah a lot of horror movies are probably closer to like a legit drama, a legit movie. Right. I keep saying legit, but you know what I mean? Like your average fare, you know, it's closer Mm -hmm. to that than something over the top cheap ass. Right. And even, and even those aren't considered for Oscars. You know, we've talked, (laughs) we've talked about it plenty in recent years where you would, you could make a case. For instance, we talked about it last year with Pearl and X. You could Mm -hmm. make a legitimate, argument that Mia Goth should have been nominated for an Oscar because that's how good she was, especially oh, yeah, in yeah. Uh, especially in Pearl, right? But, mm. of course, she wasn't. But, yeah. Now, the horror genre has notoriously been like a whipping boy for uh, for that. You know, it does, even though the Exorcist did legitimize it to some degree, it didn't give, you know, they didn't really care much about it. Like, the directors and everything would try a lot of times in the 80s and 90s to not have their movie 
you know, genreified that way, they would call it a thriller, right? Or what? They, yeah. they didn't want to even use the word horror if they were trying to go for, you know, awards, you know, Oscars and things of that nature. They were trying to get, you know, get it called a thriller or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure at the it, I'm sure at the it, least like it's, said, people saw a horror movie as a way to actually make money, like real money, like not just okay, let's make. 10, 15, 20 million dollars if you if if you, you were shooting for the moon and stars here, but no, this is something that can make hundreds of millions of dollars. Yep. Yeah, that's 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 what it boils down to. You could you could take any other genre, yeah, it might be an award winning movie or get nominated for Oscars and all that stuff, but how much money did it make at the box office? Yeah. Because movies can draw in a lot, you know, even on a very small budget. Look at the Blair Witch, you know. Yeah. It doesn't need much to to make one that can break it in. Paranormal Activity is another one. And there's a lot of great practical effects in this movie, too. Obviously, you know, this is well before the age of CGI or anything like that. But And there's not a lot of crazy ones in here, but the ones that you see are truly effective. Such as we alluded to earlier, the spider walk, right? Like, that is yeah. that is fucking crazy. And I didn't go into the ins and outs of how they did that, but, like, the look of that, it's like, dude, that is, you know, and, and the head spinning, right? Yeah. Well, yep. Spitting out the pea soup, whatever, right? But you know, like just the yakking up the green. <laughs> but like Ooh. that's that's just a simple practical effect. But like the head spinning stuff and all that, like this is like this is like holy shit stuff from nineteen seventy three, right? Yeah, it definitely was a it's like just for pure shock effect too, because you know, if you think about it, like I a little girl's head spinning around, she's gonna break her neck, she's gonna die. Mm-hmm. That's gonna be the end of you know, you don't think about that. It's supernatural horror and you're thinking about how effective, creepy, and like just downright scary that is, especially when you're younger too. Mm-hmm. Watching this movie, that that just the whipping of the head around like that when her mom's over in the corner or whatever, and and just the ruggedness of like not only the lines but the things that she is doing while possessed, like when she takes the cross and is stabbing herself oh, yeah. in the crotch with it. Like I think she's saying like "fuck, fuck me, Jesus" or some shit like that, and you're like, "Good Lord Almighty!" <laughs> now imagine. <laughs> That's what today's sensibility. Yeah, yeah. Like, of course, this is shit that's all edited out of like you know uh, TV versions and everything like that. But like, dude, that is some that is some hardcore shit. Like, even by today's standards. Oh yeah. Fifty years later, definitely pushed the envelope, and that's way back when. Yeah, this was fifty years ago. Like, can you imagine like the reactions of people in 1973 to seeing that shit? You know, like even now you're like, God damn. Back then, holy shit. You know, this is. I'm seeing the devil himself on the screen, you know, is the way you would. Yeah. And, and another practical effect was that when they pulled up her shirt or whatever, she had helped me scratch on her stomach, like, you know, stuff like that. It's just, it all adds to the, like, man, this is, you know, really fucked up. But I think you get one of the most iconic scenes and it's very brief, but like, it's just so damn good of when father Marin arrives, he pulls up in the cab or whatever outside the house and it pulls away and he's standing there in front of that. Like you just get the sense of like, all right, things are about to change. Like, this is the main event, right? Like, now you're, you're bringing in the old priest, the old soldier to come fight the war. You know, <laughs> now, now it's about to go down because, like, and just the way that scene is shot, the the staging of it and everything, you get the fog rolling in, the lights, he's standing out there in the trench coat and the hat. You can see the light in the window and everything. It's just it's just, it's just awesome. You, see, you actually see the head spin twice, but it was once it's kind of like, it does, like, she kind of spin, spins unnaturally, right, the first time. But it's not until Father Marin arrives when when she does the full 360 head spin and then just starts levitating off the bed. 
and just saying the most rugged shit. And this is where it comes in, <laughs> right? The uh, Father Karis, the mom thing comes back around because then mm, he, she, wow. the demon that is in her uses that like, you know, you let your mother die, you know? <laughs> yeah. So that gets in his head and, you know, almost fucks the whole situation up. So Father Marin has basically like, get the fuck out of here. Get your, get your shit together. So Karis, Father Karis leaves the room. Father Marin's by himself. And he's handling it. And then they cut away to like Karis kind of downtrodden outside the room. And he's like, no, you know, she's not going to die. Right. That's when he comes to the conclusion. Like, I'm going to go back in here and fight. Regan's not going to die. He goes in and Father Marin's dead. So sometime, sometime in the last five minutes where he's down on himself, Father Marin, I guess, just kills over from a heart attack because they don't, you don't see it happen. Mm-hmm. But I assume well. that's what happened is like, you know, he's praying so fervently that he just drops dead of a heart attack. So this all happens pretty quick at this point now. Karis basically is like, give, I'll accept the demon, right? I, give it to me. Take, c- come out of the girl and, and give it to me. So he is basically possessed very briefly and then jumps out the window and rolls down the, the concrete steps to his death. So that frees, that is able to free Regan from the demon and she's okay. Pretty much the end. Right. So, but that all happens pretty quick. Like once you finally have that moment where he goes in, sees father Marin dead, does a couple things. He's possessed, jumps out the window. He's dead. She's okay. All like in the last less than 10 minutes. So it all comes to a head pretty quickly, but I just, you know, well done. Just, Great shit, you know. And there's a lot of setup, you know. Yeah, it does drag a lot at times, and it probably could be a little shorter, but it's just it's just so well done. So many iconic moments. Oh yeah. Um, some rugged lines though. Ooh, <laughs> some rugged, just ruggedness, and some of the di- and you know they had to have had a blast writing that stuff. <laughs> they had to have like they're sitting around like at the table, like what is the most fuck. William, uh, what's the most fucked up thing you can think of? Oh, you should say something about a cunt. Okay, yeah, put that in. You know, like it would have to be like that. It just would have had to have been <laughs> been a blast for them to to write that shit out. They just revert back to like twelve year old boys. Yeah, it had to have been because it's just so rough. Like it's nobody just sits around and I don't think and just talks like that just all the time. So you know, all right, let's get nuts. What what should we say? You know, and then away we go. But whether well, we like, have haven't been before either. Not. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there we have it. That's The Exorcist from 1973. Just an utter horror classic. Doesn't get much bigger than this. So, uh, Smoke, we'll let you start since uh, you're, you're the you're the main horror guy here in the room. You're, you're the old hat. So, we'll let you go first. What, what do you say about The Exorcist? You can't. We pretty much talked everything that you can talk about this movie as far as the classicness of it and what it means to the you know the horror genre in general. So I don't want to. I'm not going to underplay it or overplay it. I guess you could say it's it's. It is not. It's not my top. It's not my number one. A lot of people just say number one. And that's various reasons, but it's more so for uh, just my own personal preferences and aesthetics or whatever. But I'll probably, I'll go with a four and a half on it. Donnie, what do you say? You know, as I as I mentioned uh, earlier, this scared the absolute shit out of me as a kid, um, and I usually struggle with slow burn movies. Um, this is kind of an exception, uh, even though that that still kind of. Uh, that, you know, that slow burn still, you know, is there. This is still one of the best horror movies ever because of that slow burn. Um, but also, well, to kind of, I, I would say the slow burn is the only knock for me, it, but it's really hard to knock this one. 
exceptional effects. Um, you know, practical effects is always going to, you know, give, give a higher rating for me. I'm going to go four and a half. Will, what do you say? I, I agree with y'all. It was a slow burn, but there was enough stuff going on during the slow burn to keep you entertained. I think I'm going to break the seal on this one. I'm going to go five. What? Wow. Yeah. I was hoping you were going to say one and a half. What the fuck? <laughs> I just, I just felt it was coming. Yeah. I'm glad you went the opposite way. I'm, I'm pretty much there, but I'm not quite five. I'm going to say four and three quarter. I mean, cause like, dude, you don't get much better than this. You really don't. There are certain things that you can, you know, poke at. Like, like I said, the, the stuff from the beginning doesn't, it doesn't feel like it makes, I'm not saying that it doesn't make sense. It's just hard to make the connection. Like we talked about. So I think if there had been some, just a simple scene in there somewhere to kind of like, here's how this little thing got here and then it possessed her kind of thing, it would have made everything make a little bit more sense. But, you know, I think the way it plays out, you don't necessarily need it. Just, you know, if I'm finding anything to be critical about, it's that. Just top notch. I mean, I keep coming back to it. it's 1973. The dialogue oh, yeah. is fucking crazy for the time. The special effects were pretty fucking crazy for the time. Just all around just... Just great stuff. Classic. It deserves its spot in, in horror history as far as like being the most commercially and critically successful horror films of all time. I don't think anyone will argue that. So our consensus rating, with all that being said, is 4.69. That's the average. So 4.6 star out of 5 stars for us. Once again, like I said, doesn't get much better than that. One of our highest rated of the year. So uh, we're not quite done with it, though. Connections. God damn, I swear. It's like every week it seems like there's another. <laughs> yeah, that's how it is. Yep. Uh, all right, so cast side, we've got Ellen Burstyn uh, plays Chris McNeil. She actually dates back to when when we covered The Wicker Man on Crapster Peace Theater. Um, and also uh, Rudolph Schundler who played Carl. He dates back to Will's favorite, Suspiria. Yay. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, on the crew side, we talked about the special effects. FX legend Rick Baker dates back to when we covered An American Werewolf in London, mm. The Howling, and Videodrome. All unsurprising pedigree there, for sure. Mm. Top-notch Straight stuff. Up. Yeah, babe. You know, this one's a little odd to do just because there were so many deaths off screen. But I'm going to go with two on this one with uh, Father Marin with the heart attack. Remind me of the, the other father's name. Father Karras. Karras. Karras, yeah. yeah uh, when he got possessed and fell to his death. Mm. Took a header. Yeah. That's <laughs> the way you say that. Which also leads us to... Let's talk about the kill reel. Highlight kill. These are the kind of flicks that are easy or hard, depending on how you want to look at it. I think it's easy because there's really only one. It's Father Karras taking a header out of the window after he's briefly possessed. Because like you said, you don't really see anything on screen. That one where the guy apparently gets his neck snapped and tossed from the window, you don't see at all, right? Mm-hmm. Like the guy that's the, the, the movie director that's her friend, the mom's friend. Like, not only do you not see it happen, you don't even see the corpse. 
right? Or am I misremembering? Like they just mention it. Oh yeah, by the way, you know so and so's dead. Yeah, it turns out somebody snapped his neck and threw him from the window. <laughs> and then they keep bringing it up over and over. But yeah, why can't you show it? And it becomes a big plot point because of the uh, the detective, right? Like that's the only reason he's hanging around is because that happened. So yeah, that was kind of weird. You know, going back to that that they didn't show it. But yeah. I think it makes it easy as far as my job for the highlight kill because, and really, is it a kill? I mean, it's it's more of a highlight suicide in, in this regard because <laughs> the dude purposely launches himself from the fucking window. So either way, yeah, that's that's really the only one. And Father Marin, too, he just, they walk back in and he's stiff. So you don't even see that happen. So, yeah, so that makes it easy, I guess. So... Gore score. This is another difficult one, really, because and another difficult, not difficult, because really, honestly, there's not really gore in this movie. I mean, if you think about gore as being blood and guts and that type of thing, uh, there is the cross scene, probably the most violent scene, or the most also what the fuck and yeah. you know messed up and yeah. involved blood, actual blood. Maybe the only might be the only scene that actually had blood in it per se. You know, you had uh, the Linda Blair as you know being possessed, vomiting various times or whatever, and then you have her face being just you know the possession look of her face being whatever you want to call that demonic uh, mm-hmm. skin look like torn and whatnot, but I mean not bloody you know. So how do you rate this on the gore score? I, I think just for the cross scene alone and you know the vomiting and the awesomeness of her makeup or whatever in the demonic possession mode. I mean, I just have to go with a five, I guess, because that's kind of splitting it to where, yeah, that scene with the cross is messed up, even though it's not, it's brutal. It's it's more like what you don't see than what you do see. You know, it's kind of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, <laughs> where there's hardly any gore really in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but your mind, you know, the way that it was shot, your mind kind of goes there on its own. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a five just out of the principle of it. And it just, you know, it, it does have some... <laughs> I don't know, some nastiness going on, if, if not outright gore. So. If you count language in to the stew yeah. of the gore score, yeah, I think it earns it. You know, because like, like you said, the brutality the, of everything. Yeah. The yeah. Lang- from the language to the brutal brutalness of the scene with the cross to the makeup and the, the vomit. Yeah. Yeah. I think you have to go at least five. Yeah. I agree. But I think I can go even higher than that just because there's no blatant gore. So. Hmm. Well, that we'll, we'll we'll wrap it up with that as far as the Exorcist is concerned. Uh, All time classic. If you haven't seen it, uh, please do yourself a favor and go check it out. I mean, like, yeah, we spoiled it, but we didn't spoil the intricacies of the way this movie plays out. So, like, I think you should definitely, without question, go check this out. And and really, if you're listening to this, what are the odds that you never have seen it, right? But you never know. So if you haven't, go check it out. Hopefully, I hope, I really do. I hope we're able to say the same things next week. When we go see the Exorcist Believer, I'm not going to say it's a low bar. I'm not going. I'm not going to say that because it's not. You know, obviously, the, the, if anything, it's too high of a bar because of the Exorcist. You know what I mean? But because Exorcist Two was so bad, and there's, you know, the other ones that have come in the years since. Like, I don't have a high sense of this thing being awesome. But I hope I'm wrong. I hope this time next week we're talking about how awesome this was, and that it blows everything out of the water since the original. So here's the hoping, right? That's all we can say about that right now. So uh, I would encourage you to go to the theater this weekend. Go check it out. I mean, we're in October, for God's sake. There's a big horror movie coming out, arguably one of the biggest of the year. You should go check it out. So 
go to the theaters with us. Go check it out, and then we'll we'll all come back next Monday to talk about it. So that's it for Will, Donnie, Professor Smoke. I'm Josh. We are the All American Spook Show. We'll talk to you next week. Please replace the speaker on its rack when you're ready to leave. Failure to do so will damage both the speaker and your car. We'll be grateful, and so will the patrons who follow you.